This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Ball Factory, a Japanese eatery and coffee shop at 95 Montrose Avenue in East Williamsburg. Learn more at brooklynballfactory.com. Good morning. It's Thursday, May 12th. I'm Emily Pearson, and this is the Main Course OG. I am here with my lovely co-host, Patrick Martins. Thanks for having me, Emily. You are always welcome. Just keep the talking to a minimum today, Patrick. Thank Sorry you. Sorry if I talk too much. Yeah, sh- just sh- anyway, today we have two of our favorite New York chefs here in the studio with us. We have Tim Caspare and John Tillis of Pasquale Jones, Nolita's super, super popular, one of our favorite wood-fired pizza places. You know. Don't tell Robertus. And uh, Neo New York style pizzeria, which I need to ask you about later because I don't quite know what Neo New York is. Good morning, chefs. That's a media term. Yes. All right. Tell me. What is Neo New York? I think the vibe is uh, basically it's a drier Neapolitan, effectively. Oh, so it's oh, it's it's Neo like Neapolitan. It's like, no, it's like, I think it's like. I thought it was like New New York. Well, I mean, the format is, is a 13 inch. The Neapolitan, you know, 260-gram pizza. So. Foldable. Foldable. And does the mozzarella move around like a When it comes out leaf? of the oven, yes, but you can pick it up and eat it. It's not knife and fork. No, so dro- okay. no droop on the No tip? droop, no droop. That's the, that's, I mean, the best case scenario, that's how it comes out of the oven. That's what we're going for. Because, I mean, we went to Napoli. We ate at, you know, five or six of the pizzeria there. And we, like, didn't really think that that spoke to New Yorkers, or us, that, for that matter, you know. Right, like so most New Yorkers like to pick up their pizza and eat it. Mm-hmm. That's how probably I would say, what, 95% of all pizzas eaten in New York or something. I way. only do knife and fork if it's like just too mushy to pick up because That's it's, why maybe there's it. too yeah. much yeah, mozzarella, too much weight, whatever yeah. it might be. So Pasquale Jones has it right. So we always open the show with a game of word association. This week we have two words for both of you. Feeling especially appropriate with the St. Patrick's Day parade being postponed, not canceled. Respond to whichever one speaks to you. We have Irish pubs and corned beef. Is this a one-word answer? You know, a few, th- few a half a word. If short possible. sentence. No, you can do a paragraph. <laughs> Farrell's Bar and Grill. For yeah. those of you who know it in Windsor Terrace, is the premier Irish pub. That is Chef John what Tillis. What would make you say such an outrageous thing? It's been open since. I think I read this morning, 1933, um, and it's just been a staple of the neighborhood I grew up in for, you know, obviously as long as I can remember, but most of the people that, you know, have lived there can remember. Will you be celebrating St. Patrick's Day there? Probably not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Tim? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm descended from Irish and uh, Scottish folks. I'm a dumb Irish kid from Jersey, and um, I'm I'm going to go high here and say that Pubs are not like they are in, in Ireland, in New York. You we were know? just asking. How is that going high? You're saying they're just like, like the yeah, just being a snob. It's like <laughs> oh. pubs are not the same in New York. You call it an Irish pub, like go to Ireland, go to an Irish pub in Ireland. It's a totally different thing. What do you? What are some of the key differences? There's dogs running around. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go there for your tea in the morning. It's a communal place. You know, it's not like this. Um, it's not only nighttime drinking. Sort of a, and... yeah, exactly. So, do you have somebody's uh, with their computers just working there for three hours? No, not so much, <laughs> right? At the Irish pubs, it's no, more people coming through. It's a community-based kind of thing. It's it's more like the cafe. It feels like the, the cafe is to Italy, the, the pub is to Ireland. Yeah, yeah, they go three, four times a day. The workers. What about corned beef? Nobody. Corned beef, man. No, no one's hot on corned beef. Mm. Maybe in a sandwich. We did a limited edition corned beef. With Wagyu, and it was one of the most exquisite things. So we did it for HeritageFoods.com, and it sold out like 60, 70 pieces within, I don't know, two hours? We don't know if it's because it was a little more unique, high-quality beef, or just... More people ordering direct delivery to your door? Yes. Is that a service you provide? Uh, Well, mail order, yes. Uh, not to well, if you're listening to this podcast on a, a year's delay, today is, March, today is March 12, 2020. We are in the midst of the 
coronavirus. Uh, Here we go. Upgraded to the word pandemic, I believe, as of today. Uh, so our first topic in our round robin weekly base section that we do, uh, we have to discuss the elephant in the room, the coronavirus, COVID-19. What does it mean, you guys, for the restaurant industry, for all of us right now? I think it's scary. It's very, very scary. You know, we haven't seen the worst of it, I don't believe, and I think restaurants really have to figure out how to hunker down and, and endure through a period of time where you may or may not have a lot of foot traffic and your revenue is going to go down. You have to, you know, if you have a responsibility to your workers, like think about cutting your staff. I mean, it's, it's scary. Yeah, I mean, we, we need to take care of our employees, but also take care of the business, and you have to find a balance. Um, and And right now we're sort of still trying to find that balance and what that looks like, and obviously there's developments every day, so... We're sort of in the wait and see phase, and I imagine in the next couple of days it's going to become more clear what our sort of path will be. Is the general vibe from your workforce that they want to come in and get paid, or uh, that it's your responsibility to pay them even if they're not working, or that uh, they don't want to come in and, and just let it ride? I, I think right now people are nervous, so they're not thinking so much about not getting paid because they haven't been out of work yet. People don't, that comes later, I think. Uh, but right now I think people are, you know, are feeling anxious. Concerned for their own physical I health. I think we're right. all at the top of this sort of, you know, we, we don't know what the ripple effects are all going right. to be. We're sort of at this, the, the top of the, the, the pure, you know, the, the dominoes haven't started to quite fall yet. We're just sort of anticipating it. But I guess, so with that in mind, you know, I, and I asked everybody, I've been, Patrick and I have been talking about it a lot. How can we all support local businesses while also being precautionary and considerate, you know, of ourselves and our colleagues, you know, I know personally, I was, I was saying to Patrick, I went out to dinner last night. It's, it's sort of at the forefront of my mind that I want to still go out to restaurants. You I, did I, last night. I know I did. I went out to eat last night. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just ordering in or cooking at home. I wanted to support businesses that, as we're discussing, you know, need guests. Were you in, in any way, thrive. shape or form concerned? Like, not in the least, right? No, I, I will say I, washed, I, I washed my hands more than I ever have in my life at a restaurant. Yeah, and you brought the Purell I, around. I get yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I joked with the, it was a restaurant in Greenpoint, and I joked with the, the hostess server. They sat, at, we were at a communal table, but they left an empty seat in between each group. Yeah. And I was like, oh, is yeah. this the new like coronavirus method? She's like, no, it's our, our weeknight. You know, we're not usually packed to the gills oh. method. But by the time I left at 8.30, they were seating people. Next to each oh, other because they actually were very crowded. I think yeah. neighborhood restaurants, I, and I hope like you Pasquale guys feel Jones. this, like Nolita, Pasquale Jones, I hope that the neighborhood is home and supporting you guys. I mean, I think in, in sort of these crisis kind of times, I mean, people still like to go drink and eat comforting food. Maybe more, more than ever, you know what I mean? So I think some restaurants <clears throat> will have the uh, capacity to endure because... You know, people just want to go out and, and, and still feel, like, comforted in some way. Yeah. And there's a sense of community. And, you know, we're, we're definitely benefiting from that community. Yeah, it's not a curfew. It's more like a, a self-quarantine. But how, how would you navigate uh, the worker politic? Because, I mean, you as, a, as the top guys, I, I have a sense that even if many of your workers were like, we can't come in, you guys might be like, well, we're still going to come in. We can make it work on a mass unit level. Uh, but what, So you have to be respectful, but also you yourselves. Like I was thinking about the newscasters. They still go in and do the work. They're not like, we are here in my living room uh, telling yeah. you the news. They, they go in. Yeah. I so mean, what's it's it like, like I took for the you? Subway, I took the subway to work the other day, and like one person on the train coughed. Uh -huh. Everyone else turned around like, <laughs> oh, how, really? how could you, you know? <laughs> Um, so how do you navigate it, Jeff? I mean, you're going to have to make possibly some tough decisions. Yeah. I, you know, I think we're, we're looking at the possibility of, you know, like, I mean, if you, if you look at what happened in Italy, so you've got the closure of, like, many, many businesses. A lot of restaurants are, are moving to this system of, like, having this, uh, you know, restaurant at your house or, like, this place, uh, Santo Palato, this, this restaurant I love in Testaccio. This girl, Sarah, uh, she's <clears throat> closed her restaurant, and she has a program. You have, you have to, like, WhatsApp her or whatever, and you place an order, and they, they deliver it to your house. Mm -hmm. So you still support that business, but um, 
You don't have to be exposed Clearly to the Clearly that means that, if, that Italy doesn't really have a caviar and Grubhub and all these businesses <laughs> where you maybe, go maybe on a, It seems that Italy is a little bit more like, hey, you can, here's my cell phone number, message yeah. me privately. We Just, will uh, call still... me later. Uh, you know, we'll see if I, you know. And you get in in two or three days. <laughs> it might be cold. <laughs> no, I, um, I think that, are you, do you guys do, um, do you do delivery? We do, we deliver through caviar. Okay, and are you finding that is that are are more people? It definitely seems like sales are picking up um, mm-hmm. because people are staying home but still trying to eat Pasquale Jones food. That's great. Well, I mean, it is. I mean, the, I was listening to the classical music station today, and he said something like, "Keep normal, stay clean," uh, which is right. And uh, you know, I have to say, I'm a little annoyed at the NBA for canceling. I I I feel like. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a medical guy, and I know you're supposed to keep everyone quarantined so the thing doesn't get out of control and, like, overwhelm the hospitals. But I also think, like, most people get it, and nothing happens. They don't even have to go to the doctor. Well, so this yeah, is, like, old dangerous people to say I that, get. Though. It's dangerous to say that, oh, it's just the flu. <sighs> but for old Because maybe people, you don't get sick. But and nobody wants to be liable. Give it to someone else. Well, yeah. I think that's the big thing. It's liability. But yeah. I have a question. Do you th- should... I don't mean more well, joking. I'm speaking selfishly a, a little bit, but my gut has always been, you keep going. Would you prefer them to play without fans? Because I know that basketball was... Basketball fans? Yeah. They were talking so about TV that. So TV... Ra- well, they're doing that for March Madness. Oh. March Madness is still happening. Got but it. they are playing all the games without spectators. Right. So, I mean economically the the sales of t-shirts and hotel rooms and flights and everybody traveling to all the games is severely in the toilet i mean maybe the gambling industry will do well because people are still going to bet from home and tv ratings will be good go out at your own risk i don't know i just really hope people still go out to restaurants and i think also this is being used the coronavirus a little bit as an attack on the hatred towards trump by a lot of the news media i hate him too but you know i think they're like look at what a terrible job he has millions of people are going to die you know and and then meanwhile the republicans i watched fox for a bit and they're like trump saved a million people from dying so everyone is like talking about yeah. millions of people of dying one to attack and one and i'm just like you're going to a restaurant i'm going to a restaurant you know i know pregnant people going out because they're like so I don't know. I, I, and I keep thinking of Al Roker, and I know you keep hating this. I saw him at the Halloween Day Parade for Thanksgiving wearing a helmet. And I'm like, this has gone too far. <laughs> this has gone too far. But I think when, in, you know, in contrast, a lot of the population in northern Italy is older. Yeah. Right. right? It's more of a trend that the younger generation leaves and the older generations are left there. It also sounds like here in the U.S., I think the schools that are closing are not necessarily because a young student was infected. It's that there's like a parent or a grandparent or a guardian who had a a contact with someone with coronavirus and the school is being protective. So, you know, it's you have to look at who caregivers are and Mm -hmm. and what everybody's family life looks like. And I don't know. You know, I think precautions are you you do what you're comfortable with. But we do hope that everybody will. Sort of, you know. I mean, I imagine the city will sort of tell us what to do sooner than later. I that's my sort of prediction. Because mm-hmm. people go and you'll see what the other restaurants are doing. It'll be a communal, right? And yeah. and you know, if a large restaurant group decides to close all its restaurants, people are probably going to follow suit. And if you know, De Blasio says, "Please stay home," people are going to do that. That hasn't happened yet. And he did say, "Go out to restaurants, please," didn't he? An eater. There was an article. I, I that one I did not see. Yeah, DeBazio was arguing or recommending that people continue to go out, you know, but at the same time. I mean, there's even another business sort of associated with our group. It's Parcel. It's a wine delivery service. Oh, is that what you were talking you about before? You don't have to leave your, ho- your house Tell to get fancy wine. Was yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so how does that work? I mean, it's, it's similar to any of these food apps. You just kind of call this, this, you know, this app up and... Can I get it by they, the glass? They have a van. You have to buy the whole bottle. <laughs> I hope my son, my seven-year-old son Max is not listening. <laughs> He's got your He's credit card. He's on the card. internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like people who children have learned how to use Amazon's Alexa. But so speaking of speaking of alcohol, I'd like to talk a little bit about barless restaurants. So Pasquale Jones doesn't actually have a physical bar. We have a dining counter, actually. But that, right. that, that's, so, you know, so I, I that's consider that like shape of a table. that's like a pizza counter, <laughs> a pizza bar. Yeah, but. You obviously you you serve wine and beer, no liquor, correct? No liquor, no booze. So 
Is that all just like in low boys underneath in coolers? Do people come in and say, do you even have alcohol? Or do they not? And also, it what's us? it like not having that source of income and place to hang out pre dinner? Yeah, you said everyone's going to drink and be comfortable. They certainly can. Well, be, four years in, people food. know we don't have a full bar program for the most part. I mean, there, it's yeah. There are some people who arrive and they yeah. want to have like a a cocktail, and they're kind of miffed when they find out we don't have it. But then they're like, oh, I'll also have this really great glass of white wine. It's it's just like one for the other. Yeah, I mean, there's some people that are not going to like it, but I mean, it's a wine destination. And is it a challenge financially to make uh, it work without that, like, $32 for two cocktails? We're not paying a bartender. We don't have a bartender. We don't have all this inventory. You know, everything's kind of consolidated in a small restaurant. 50 seats. We all kind of wear different hats. Some of the servers are barista, some. It's all kind of combined so that, you know, you get around it by saying, hey, you know, like... We don't need a bartender. When you sit at the pizza, I haven't. It's been a long time since I've sat at the pizza counter. Does your chef serve you your wine? No, but I'm I'm prepared to talk about <laughs> wine if I need to. You know. I was going to say, John, can I order my glass of red with you while I order my pizza? I'd be happy to. John's pair. right there. I know. Yeah, that's I'd what I'm saying. Pair. I said, can he pour me my wine too? But what I, I love like, about Pasquale Jones, it gets gives you the sense when you're seated there that there is a huge bar. Because it's packed with people waiting to speak to the maitre d in the the little winter cubicle that you build outside. I mean, you're walking by 20 people, and yet there's nothing for them to do. Very nicely, though, your uh, manager gave us a glass of wine while we waited. I know you do that. So you do feel like you're having fun even while you're waiting. Yeah, that's funny. The downside is there's nowhere for people to wait. That, that's the biggest downside Which, for sure. Or you have like these single diners that come in. There's nowhere for them to sit and have a have a you know something to eat. Now let's talk about your restaurant group, the opposite, <laughs> Legacy Records, which is a multi-cavernous room, multi-floor, <laughs> private bar door uh, scene. Yeah, that's the opposite. In many yeah. ways, full bar. Yeah. So Patrick and I went last week. We had we got a full tour, and uh, it was during the day. It's but beautiful. Patrick already had dreams of like being in the secret little private room. Yeah, and we can't uh, talk about that here. Yeah, there oh, is no. Just private kidding. Room. I was sorry. Never. Sorry. It was. Uh, I made that up. Um, are places like Legacy Records, you know, are immune to sort of pandemics and stock market crises because they sort of service this? And the Pasquale Jones. Absolutely upper not. <laughs> are you kidding? I mean, they do all the PDR. Oh. It was, I mean, you think all these... So all private these, dining, which is all really these groups taking a hit. who are going to, you know, going to go out and spend, I mean, they're just canceling. Yeah, I mean, they benefit a lot from the, like, Javits Center convention traffic. And so when when those things are canceling, obviously they're going to take a hit. But hopefully the, the restaurant will still be doing well. And they also have the bars. And so Ada's and, Place hopefully will... And will they're connected busy. to a uh, private residential building, correct? Yes. Which I think is pretty cool. They come yeah. down and you just, like, have a... Your coffee shop's right there. It's not a bad local bar to have. Yeah. But Emily, to answer your question, high-end things like Heritage Pork probably suffers less than the commodity world. But in this instant, it's weird because it's truly tourism that's being affected. You know, sometimes I think we're immune to the ups and downs of the commodity markets or the stock market world because we're vertically integrated and independent of that system. You know, but... So high-end things are immune, but in this case, the high-end thing is the very thing that will suffer. Yeah, and I think we, you know, we've been talking a lot about how, um, like, the market in Las Vegas and certain areas where there's big conventions and groups that come together, but you forget about that New York and Legacy Records is on 38th Street and the Javits Center fuels it, and as things get canceled, that is a, a major artery for, for business. And yeah. I love the idea of what you said earlier, like Pasquale Jones as the pub. You know, as that neighborhood place that during a pandemic even, you know, people can go and eat and get sustained and forget about their fears. But then do you stay open and, you know, all that. So, wow, a lot to think about. All right. On a more fun and exciting and shiny note, Tim, you were just out in California serving burgers. To uh, famous people, uh, maybe? Uh, It was pizza. But Patrick, tell me burgers. Where'd you get that? I don't know. <laughs> All right, you were making pizza for <laughs> some. I'm not. I'm not uh, okay, let's just say we were serving burgers. All right. I mean, maybe you were making some Italian-inspired burgers. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That was all to to ask you. What do you think of the the LA dining scene right now? Like we always. And how was that event? It was for the Oscars, I believe. Yeah, it was an after party. I mean, it was a long night. I mean, we started making pizza, not um, burgers, <laughs> at the Chateau Marmont. I mean, for all these guests, up until seven o'clock in the morning. And even then, they were like, "Are you out of pizza?" I'm like, yes, we're definitely out of pizza. They're like, but could you put an egg on it and switch yeah. it to a breakfast pizza? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, I had a great time. But, uh, gee, I mean, the day after, I had dinner at this place, Antico, mm-hmm. which uh, the chef, uh, Chad Colby, it's his new spot. It's been open six months. It was amazing. It was an amazing meal. It was, and I don't often go out to eat Italian because I just I work with it so often. And, right. But it was exceptional. It was really, really good. But the one thing about LA that's that's maybe true, that's not so much true in other other cities, is they've got this culture of like opening restaurants and strip malls and just these areas which you wouldn't have any idea how special something is based on the location or, or what kind of building it is. You know? No, we've we've talked about that before and that in LA you maybe have to travel twenty, twenty five minutes. It's more of like there's they're destinations, but they're getting fueled by I don't know, is it infatuation writing about them? Is it word of mouth? Is it social media? But that a restaurant can can exist in like a funny little sub neighborhood. Yeah. Um well, Roberta's that, uh, is one of those places. Yeah. But I mean Roberta's could this exist anywhere else? No, they have LA in the mall and they yeah. were criticized for that. Yeah. yeah, this place. But it's been quite successful. Has it, the one in L.A.? Yeah, That's what I hear. And Brandon says it's successful. I mean, part of like going to restaurants, I think, in New York, is you go to that neighborhood and you feel this, there's a vibe. Yeah, I love has. L.A. It's very New York, I think, even though everything about it is different, like physically. The people are like New York. The energy is New York. Whereas San Francisco, which I love, is not like New York at all. Well, we always like to talk about so ascending and descending cities. You know, LA has very much been on the rise from a culinary perspective. Do you think it still is? You I'm know, I defer and- to uh, Chef John Tillis on this one. He was out in LA recently. Okay, <laughs> uh, I think LA is one of the most compelling food cities. I like, I like a lot of things about it. I mean, particularly that they have sort of mastered the all-day cafe in a way that I think New Yorkers don't really understand. Mm. Um, you know, people eat. I just feel like, you know, like longer lunches in New York, people grab a salad, go back to the office, eat at their desk. L.A. has a, like enough of a leisure culture that it can have, you know, cafes that just sort of, you know, exist from 10 to 10 as opposed to New York, which is really sort of like 5 p.m. to midnight. Um, and then the food is obviously exceptional because the, you know, access to amazing produce is all is all right there. What is the name of that fabulous long bar, Jelena? Is that the one? Justa. You Justa. like Justa that yeah. does bread. In I think house. we went there eight times. In I go three there days. as many times as possible. That's out in uh, Venice. Yeah, that's an example of what you just gave. Completely. I mean, I have that place in mind when I talk about those those types of places. Just For me, every time I go there, I mean, I make when I'm in LA, I make a point to go to Justa, and but I time it with traffic, so I have to find like a somewhat off time of day yeah. to to plan to get there. You just take the five to the thirty-five to the ten to the four to the one <laughs> and then go by Santa and then Monica the PCH, and then the yeah. seven to the three and then you'll be there. Yeah. That's what I did. In no time. Everyone should quote Patrick <laughs> on that. Don't refer to Google Maps ever. Just use all those highways that we uh, think might be What about LA. ascending cities or descending cities? Is New York an ascending food city? Is it staying even or is it descending? Well, I Most mean, people say descending on this show. If you contrast, I mean, look at Okay, so let's take an example. Nomad, right? Nomad with uh, Daniel Hum. We'll get sure. in. Mm-hmm. So that restaurant, they took that to L.A. Um, and it, it wasn't like a huge success. It's yeah. interesting. You know what I mean? I mean, they closed the top floor of that because of the lack of business. I mean, they opened it downtown, but it's just, it's kind of like... Would it have succeeded had they put it in Beverly Hills? Maybe West Hollywood or yeah, Beverly yeah. Hills, yeah. It's hard to say, but I mean, Still. downtown is the neighborhood where I think I r- ran into someone in the, in the elevator who was like, oh, I'm here from out of town. I'm just going to go for a jog. And she like jogged right down the street. And she's like, oh, my God, nobody told me that there's like a tent city down here. I got chased back to my hotel. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? But um, as far as ascending and descending, I mean, that's an example of like there is some descent, I, th- I think, of, of, of that idea. There's something in New York, I think, that's not getting pushed forward in the way that you see it in L.A. and San Francisco. Hmm. I mean, part of that's probably a a real estate thing. I mean, there's just, even though I don't think L.A. is much cheaper than New York, it does feel a little bit freer. You know, New Yorkers are burdened by small spaces, high rent. Restaurants in L.A. just feel like there's more freedom. Maybe that's to be creative, but also the physical space of the restaurant. 
Wait, Wasn't there a, an LA restaurant that was so big that people were speaking different dialects, even though they worked for the same restaurant? It was so big and vast. No, but it's true. It is. Uh, it is a huge thing. I mean, they they don't have that, and also that's why they say other cities and other states in the middle of the country. Uh, are becoming better food scenes and why New York is having trouble finding talent at some of the restaurants is because these other places that have less baggage. Well, and everyone's and going home. You know, like people come to New York to like to learn because there's all these amazing restaurants that are really s- essentially schools. And then you go home. And, well, and, you, you, and you guys are both home. You said you're from New Jersey, Tim. And yep. John, you're from the, you grew up in the city. I grew up in, in Brooklyn. So, I mean, you guys would have to then say, I'm going to go start a new somewhere else. But no, we've been hearing and reading, you know, like Minneapolis, Houston is supposedly having a really Little big... Rock. Uh, yeah? yeah, is Little Arkansas, Rock. yeah. But what about Chicago? What's happening in Chicago? Let's talk about that. Interesting. I I am a, a rare breed that loves Chicago. I, I as a... As oh, a yeah, New you're York, part of 270 million people who like Chicago. No, I hear a lot of people knocking, knocking oh, really? Chicago. I think a lot of people don't like it as a city. They huh. think that it's like a little fake and sterile and doesn't feel that real. Um, I like Just the, like Midwesterners in general. I guess so, maybe. But um, I don't know. I'm a big fan of Chicago. I think the restaurant groups that do well there, like Let Us Entertain You, Rich Melman, and all their concepts that they continue to open, they're, they're smart. But, I mean, there's neighborhoods that are sleepy. There's neighborhoods that, like, as you said, there's not even a 5 to midnight. It's like a 5 to 10. Yeah. You know, uh, real estate, though, is like a fraction of the price. It's about a third. Why do you ask about Chicago? I just think, like, I, I mean, I haven't heard people talking about Alinea in a while. You know what I mean? You've got Lee Wollen out there. I know, and, and he came it. here to New York. But, yeah. Grant came here. So you think that the people aren't talking about Alinea because they're not respecting Chicago or because uh, he's not appreciated the way Hum wasn't appreciated in L.A.? I think maybe it's a trend towards uh, more more casual, more comforting dining. More casual, more comforting. Well, we've yeah. talked about that. When look at the fast casual movement, right? We've talked a lot about this station and people not wanting necessarily the traditional sit down. Yeah, you know, no, like I, gastronomy on top I of think, it. look, I think if you're, a, if you're a restaurant group and you can do both and you can offer something for everybody, I think that's your, your ideal scenario. You know, look at, you know, we're friends with everyone at Union Square Cafe and Daily Provisions, the fact that they get to do both and they do them both really well. Um, you know, even like Legacy Records, the building that it's in, that it has a, a beautiful cafe and they're baking their own bread and they're offering something in the mornings for people on their way to the Javits Center, but then they have something in the evenings on the way back. If you have a space and real estate and a footprint that allows you to do both, you know, whether they're next to each other or somewhere in the group, I, I, that to me is like the really big win. Chicago to me has always been insular. Emily and I put all this effort into opening restaurant accounts in Chicago, and we can't open literally. It's a tough not meat, a tough meat city. They're they very, just have uh, their way yeah. of doing things. That seems surprising. Another city we cannot yeah. get into, for instance, is Portland, Oregon. Also very insular for different reasons. You know, they're more like local to yep. their local ranchers, and we can't knowing sell a your farmer, Chicago is a little bit more like there's meat mafia and. Uh, Nobody really wants to pay higher prices. Yeah. We, we can call 80 restaurants, go visit, hello, and then not sell one pork chop to them. Whereas in New York, when we do that, we might sell, open 10% of the accounts or yeah. you know 5% of the accounts. It's interesting, but um, I don't know. Is there anywhere that's like really just totally peaked? Like Speaking of Portland, do you think they've peaked as a food city? Because of their population, probably, but they're probably one of the most best food places to eat, best cities to eat out in, in the country. So they don't need to get better. Mm, I think so you can San Francisco also... San for that matter. San Francisco, yeah, they're doing great. They're just at the top, so they're not going up or down. I'd say Philly's still on the rise. I mean... It's good. There's a lot of great restaurants, and it's very cheap. What about D.C.? Will D.C. ever have a great food scene? Oof, unclear. Say. I'm worried about when coronavirus is... Making the way to DC. <laughs> Anne was like watching the press conference yesterday. She was like, Trump sounds sick. <laughs> he always, sick. He always just sounds wishful sick. Thinking. He <laughs> always <laughs> sounds sick. And he looks a little, who knows how pale and sickly he looks under the Under orange. all the makeup. So, you know, when Jean-Louis Paladin was the chef in DC, people didn't know if New York or DC would be the premier food city in the country. Well, it was the same thing question. with uh, George Perrier, the Beck Finn, you know, in Philadelphia. Okay. Like those were competing for these real upper echelon fine dining scenes. Hmm. And Star kind of like, I think, 
bridges the gap. Like they Star go both ways. Star is very successful, mm-hmm. man. I mean, Star is really the like anchor in Philly. For what do sure. you guys think about that group? I mean, he's had a ton of success, and people yeah. like working for him, from what I understand. So it's hard to it's hard to knock it. You know, I mean, he's got a lot of different concepts, and there's not a lot to. Yeah, yeah he's good. You can't have I mean, one restaurant. No, honestly, sorry. They're going to be like, actually, take them off the air. All right. They're going to be like, uh, that guy's a douche. Christopher Lee? Yes, Christopher, Christopher Lee. Are you talking about the guy who, who used to work at Chez Panisse and then who opened Obuco? No, Buco? not Christopher Lee. Pardon me. Uh, Alex. Oh, Alex Lee. Uh, Chef at Danielle. Like the original CDC from Danielle. Alex, Alex Lee, that's it. Okay. Star always hires very well, and I think tries I to keep people like in the family. Director, who I mean, he was he made a huge uh, impact when he was the chef at, at Danielle. Are you a fan of like the sort of I don't know the alums of Danielle? From um, who has the best alumni tree I, in the U.S.? Uh, is it Chez Panisse? Is pretty good. Danielle's. What about the uh, what about River Les, Cafe or Les Panas? You know, you know, great. That's a hot one. Yep. You know. He just passed, and then they put out that list of all the great chefs that had worked for him. That would be interesting, a, a family tree yep. uh, uh, restaurant, because that is really amazing when you can churn out chefs that go on to open great restaurants. I mean, Danielle is David Chang, right? Riyadh Lee. Melissa from Del Posto. Right. Melissa Rodriguez was there. Hmm. Um, Chez Panisse probably and I like has watch, I like watching the chefs who... Left the French world or kept like you know some some roots and and obviously the skill set and the pet and like the the heart but went to another type of cuisine. Yeah, um, but no, well, I, you can that, see that in Melissa's food. It's Italian, but it's also French. French, yeah, for sure. Because if it stayed hundred percent Italian, they could never get four stars. Because hundred percent Italian is you know <laughs> what hundred so, percent Italian tomato. is never going to be it's refined like enough for four stars unless it's the most pristine ingredients. Yeah. you know, like yeah. Chez Panisca style, where the farm is you know down the block and they no, buy hundred percent. Right, you're right. We have to take a very quick. Wait, wait, wait! Break. Let's wait. do the Jay Wayne. We oh, got to cost about less. Oh, you saying uh, you want to do that after? Yeah, okay. Do it after I thought break. you were cutting that question out. No, never, never, okay. never. We got to talk last suppers. So no connection to coronavirus. We are going to take a very quick break. We'll be back to talk about last suppers. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Ball Factory, a Japanese eatery and coffee shop at 95 Montrose Avenue in East Williamsburg. Brooklyn Ball Factory uses the best ingredients to make Japanese comfort food, like their bento boxes featuring meatballs, grilled veggies, Japanese fried chicken, or pork shabu-shabu. Plus, visit Brooklyn Ball Factory's sister restaurants, Momo Sushi Shack, Samurai Papa, Samurai Mama, Bozu and Kitade Shokudo. Learn more at brooklynballfactory.com. Hey there, HRN listeners. This is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears. I know that news about COVID 19 and the coronavirus has made a lot of people nervous about getting sick. This collective unease has already had a big impact on our restaurant and food communities, especially in New York's Chinatowns. We hope that now more than ever, our listeners will join us in supporting restaurants and the hospitality industry at large. Many of the restaurants we love are small, independent businesses. That means that even one or two bad weeks can put them in jeopardy of cutting staff, limiting hours, or even having to close for good. As long as we're still able, we should go out to eat and support our favorite restaurants. I think it's also great to remember that hospitality professionals are really good at hygiene and food safety practices. Long before there were guides all over the news about how to properly wash your hands, they were already experts at hygiene. Guests' health is tantamount to successful hospitality in any restaurant. And even if you don't want to go out, you can still support restaurants by ordering delivery, buying gift cards, and giving them some extra love on social media. What better way to handle a crisis than by supporting those in our own community? If we don't support them now, they might not be there when this crisis is over. Join HRN in supporting restaurants during this time, especially our friends in Chinatowns around the country. Thanks for listening. Great message. Yes, those were words keep from... Keep normal. Keep active. Stay clean, but keep normal i mean that's my thing and i know there are a lot of different things and you got to be careful with what you say but keep living your life especially if you're healthy i mean you we could lose tens of thousands of businesses 
And it's, I have a feeling it's always the little artisans that get fucked or the family businesses or the cheesemonger or the heritage breed people or the little neighborhood restaurant. Remember, if you feel uncomfortable, order in. But now more than ever, we have to worry about what, also we're, what we're buying order from. in from your favorite restaurant of that course. you normally dine out with. And if you don't, send your healthiest person of the house to go pick up the box and bring it back. No, we got the healthiest go. person is not supposed to interact with the unhealthy person. No, I mean if I see someone clean. eating a Hershey's Kiss, I'm gonna you know throw a hot coffee on them. I want them to be eating fine and raw. This is now more than ever. This is where you show what you believe in. In case you didn't know who you were listening to, that was Patrick Martins, my co-host here on the Main Course OG. We're broadcasting live from the back of Roberta's here in Bushwick. And we are here in the studio with Tim Casperi and John Tillis of Pasquale Jones. We have been talking all things. It's a great group, by the way. They own Charlie Bird. They own Legacy Records. It's a, it's a big uh, restaurant Parcel, group. Parcel. And what are they? You have a bar? Easy Vic. What's it called? So the cafe at the ground floor mm-hmm. of Legacy Records is um, sort of separate. They, they've kind of named that Easy Victor. Mm-hmm. There's also a bar on the second floor of Legacy called Ada's Place. Oh. Yeah. And Three it's an absolutely beautiful place. You feel like a million bucks when you walk in there. You just do. Even if all you're doing is getting a croissant, a sandwich, you feel yeah. like high ceilings. Is it Art very Deco? Sharp. I don't know. It's very sharp. It's a great place like for someone's 50th birthday, 75th birthday. No, just like it's a like Friday you feel night like Jay-Z. Feel, uh, you really shiny do. and special. So, last week we had uh, Jay Rayner. He's the restaurant critic from the UK's Observer. He was on the show with me and Patrick, and we asked him about measuring a great restaurant and how many times he visits before reviewing. As it turns out, he and his colleagues at the London Papers actually really only visit each restaurant about once before reviewing. So personally, as chefs, what do you think of this style? And uh, do you think a one and done is unfair? I mean, if you're talking about great restaurants, I think it's fair. I Me think too. It's fair. I mean, you you got to think that as an operator of a restaurant, you've got one chance, right? You only get sure. one opportunity to, I mean, you never know who's going to walk into your restaurant. That's partly why, like, I try and get these great uh, products. It's p- partly why we take chances and get, like, a whole veal carcass, because you know what, it's like some people come in and they say, hey, you know, what do you, what do you guys have that's off the menu? You got something special? And, and sometimes we do because of that. So it's kind of like that, that, help, that motivates me to want to wanna, uh, work with you guys at, at Heritage and, and, and get these really great pork in house because, you know, that moment someone comes in and we have this thing that's not on the menu yet. It's like it's a great conversation. It's a great moment. And that's that, that's that, that one shot that you have to impress somebody like a food critic. Mm-hmm. That was well. We're going to also talk about that before the end of the show. But I mean, uh, so one and done. I mean, do do you want one shot or do you want a guy coming three times and ordering twenty four things and you know? I mean, I think in a perfect world it shouldn't matter because great restaurants are consistent, and consistency is sort of what makes a really great restaurant. And that was sort of like what you really want to drive home to your staff, which is like, you know, whether it's the first diner or the last diner in the night and you're really tired and it's been crazy or it's the middle of a push. Consistency is what makes restaurants really great. Obviously, you want to make sure you have your best showing. So you maybe want more than one chance. But I think ultimately, you know, if you're shooting to be, you know, a truly great restaurant, you should only need one. Obviously, it doesn't always work out that way, but... I think that's a great answer. Consistency yeah. Yeah, it's very and, great answer. I mean, so many things are not in our control, so yeah, of course. By the yeah. way, Jay gave a very interesting thing. The reason they're one and done there is because the, observe, the, the restaurant critic there is a great writer trying to be funny, trying to be outrageous, trying to be witty, trying to be insightful, whereas the food reviewer in the United States, it's more like... Uh, He's more like a civic servant, an advocate for his city and for his town. So it's not like he called uh, one restaurant. He said going there was like getting an unlubricated colonoscopy. Pete Wells wouldn't write that, you know. His editor probably wouldn't let him. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So anyway, it's brutal, but it's funny. And so anyway, uh, journalists come from a different. They also don't have this, uh, you know. Obviously, I'm sure at this point, you guys being in the New York restaurant scene, you know what Pete Wells looks like, and you know what the reviewers look like. But in in the UK, they're not uh, they're not masked, if you will. They're not a a hidden face. You don't. Yeah, Yeah. they don't need their picture like on the inside of the coat check. (laughs) (laughs) We did ask. But I did notice. I mean, when Pete Wells came to our restaurant, um, he ordered. The things that were a little bit not like down the fairway type type dishes. So now your standard uh, dishes. And that's the kind of thing where like maybe you have a dish, you sell a couple a night, 
And maybe as an operator, you're, maybe you're not paying attention to that mise en place because you only sell one or two. Or the cooks are like, hey, you know, we don't really sell it, so I'm going to gamble on this, on this mise en place. Right. And all of a sudden, the food critic comes in and orders it. Then it's a scramble. Be like, oh, oh crap, he ordered the, uh, you know, the pig, pig's head croquette. You know? uh, I got When's the last time I tasted that? It is interesting. Yeah. I always look at menus. I'm like, what's their go-to dishes, like the veal par, you know, things that you always see, and then what's a little bit off? I mean, I always try to order from both sides of the menu because it's unfair to go all the way. And also, sometimes chefs will be like, can I do the tasting menu for you? And I'm like, no, I came for your famous pasta. <laughs> <laughs> I came for, or, or I came for the thing that I'm craving. I came yeah. for yeah, right, my right. wanting to feel like I'm having a comfortable, delicious meal. So, so that's why I'll order one thing that I want and then say, and then whatever the rest. But I, I definitely want. Like, it's like, um, this, whatever the other the schmucks at the table want to order. <laughs> So Jay also talked about Last Suppers. Which and he I, had an article. There was an article in yesterday's New York Times about famous death row Last Suppers. Um, and he, he told us that he personally wouldn't have much of an appetite if he was actually on death row. But in, in, a, in a dream and world. And tell him what the guy said before from uh, Charleston, from Hominy, Robert Stelling. What did Robert tell us? I don't. He wouldn't want to eat a lot because then the guy at the morgue oh, the next God. day would be like, "This oh, guy man. is disgusting." But I mean, is isn't the move to order like a huge meal so you get like you buy another ten minutes of of life? Like I want this impossible thing that no one can find, mm-hmm. and like I want two two ribeyes, French fries, jelly, mm-hmm. some Cheetos. Sure. You is know, that, is, just, so is, is that your last meal? No, chef? no, of Cheetos not. and ribeye. No, it's not. So what is your last meal? What would be an ingredient? Maybe or... not on death row, but you, you know, know what it is? It's close meal. it's like really closely tied to like a moment. Not necessarily a food, but it was like everything about that moment. I was in Vernazza, which is in the Cinque Terre in Liguria. <clears throat> it was afternoon with my wife. We just got married and it was like this dish. It was it was called Vernazza uh Acciughe alla Vernazza. So it's this anchovies. Anchovy anchovies. dish. Fresh anchovy. Sort of like a like a layered kind of like kind of pave type situation, so it was like these really yellow, rich, waxy, nutty potatoes, a whole layer of fresh anchovies and like crushed tomato, and like marjoram or something like that, and like a really cold glass of pigato. And we're like on the water. It was just like it was so good. So it's it the was full so, so setting. Good. It's the full package. That's what it's I want. The I want memory. That it's the taste. It's the air. <laughs> now, of course, when this gets tagged on the radio show, it's going to say Tim anchovies. Yeah. <laughs> That's truly his dream, though. John, what about you? But there's so much more, you know. Yeah, no, I, sure. that's what's funny. And actually, we've we've asked this question of a number of guests, and and as recently as last week with Jay, he said it, it has a lot to do with memories and taste memories, and it's mine not, is all gluttonous. Patrick's is not <laughs> no memory memory in carne cruda, Ooh. Peking duck, bagel with cream cheese and scallions, and tons of onions and capers, and a lot of lemon on it, wild salmon. That I'm, I'm going for no memory. <laughs> Just pure gluttony. I have to follow his honeymoon mm-hmm. memory. Okay. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Um, I don't know. It, it's between like a perfect Russ and Daughters breakfast. Ah, uh, suppose a bagel? Yeah, Me I'm too. with you. I'm with you. Or breakfast like style? a really perfect New York, like General Sow's chicken with pork fried rice. Oh. Yeah, like, I was going to say a really perfect New York slice of pizza and the Russ and Daughters. But now compelling. you got me with the General Sow's. I don't know. Just like, you know, if we're talking about memory, like, that like so much of my childhood. Let me guess, Sunday night delivery. <laughs> God, you know. There was a very funny onion that I get on the on the Instagram, and it said, uh, "Boy from Portland, only to eat within five miles of home, <laughs> plus General So's chicken." <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ems? No, I I'm, I'm I'm somewhere in the nostalgia mixed with I guess just favorite delicious thing. So I I'm a New York slice of pizza, oh, nice. but also cheese. Uh, well, always cheese. With yeah. like with with a all ju- the garlic powder and all the stuff that's there, oregano, like all- no. chili flakes, oregano, just all of it. No, I'm only. <laughs> I need some more of this craft parmesan, only, please. Only red pepper flakes, only pepperoncino. Uh, uh, no, none, none of the other stuff. I always screw the top off. Yeah. Because and, and then you and end up with one it. clump. Oh. Well, no, I screw the top off because they don't usually fit through the the hole. So you're shaking it like for ten minutes. I never understand. That. I use it as an arm workout. So you know my it, my yeah, arm you jiggles a little, and I just oh, keep shaking. I'm the guy. I stick my fingers in there and sprinkle it like a chef on my pizza. Fantastic. Spreading <laughs> coronavirus. Well, by uh, the way, speaking of not being fearful of spreading coronavirus, just uh, Tim John and I, we have our shirts off uh, because we are not scared about uh, touching each other in this time. So yes, I wish you could all keep see this normal, on video. stay clean. That's that's a joke. We're not. 
But I do want to ask you guys in the in the show of real love and appreciation, kind of gusting, admir admiring question. How do you guys do it? You buy all our shanks, you know, because we needed it once. You buy the pigs, uh, whole nose to tail. You said yes to the veal. You say yes to goats for Goattober. I mean, it is awesome that you guys care so much about sustainability. How do you guys make it work? And what is it about you guys that are driven by spending an exorbitant amount of money on a fucking <laughs> veal and trying to make it work and driving it to the various restaurants. I, you take on a lot. What, what turns you on? What drives you? I mean, people should learn from you guys. We love working with you guys. I mean, we obviously love working with you too. I mean, that's sort of a complicated question. I mean, the part of it is it, it's a, our commitment to sustainability and amazing product, which is very real, but also... Some of it is, you know, it's an amazing teaching tool. That's how we attract people to the restaurant is mm -hmm. saying, you know, these are things you're not only going to get to work with, but also you're going to have to learn how to butcher a pig or, you know, butcher a veal. And, and that's really compelling. I mean, cooks uh, want to learn that type of thing. And we don't have, um, you know, a butcher. You know, it's, it's you know, Tim, myself, Renee. And, and like, we, you know, we do a lot of that butchery work and we're obviously happy to help you know, involve the cooks in that. And I think that's um, partly what drives it. And then there's also this sort of way that, that really Tim, but Tim and myself write the menu, which is like, we're going to bring in this really special product. And then we're going to let that inform the rest of the menu. You know, we're going to say, let's, let's get this veal. And then we'll decide where it's going to go on the menu. And we let that sort of tension of having this beautiful product really inform the directions we then the going, I think. How often are specials on the menu? Every night? Every day. And you, Chef, you're just like, yeah, I want to say yes to this, to those guys. I mean, well, it's funny. We're I mean, not dying for that cup, but we're going to fucking make it work. It helps <laughs> them, and we're going to make it delicious, and we're going to get all and the I guys And I really need Patrick to stop asking me. No, yeah, no, no I'm going really to get Charlie to help. And I, I, it really does drive the menu. It's, it's part of this process I learned basically working in California with Mike Tusk where hmm. you get the best you can find. You know, And often the best you can find, you've got to buy the whole animal. You know, so plus I, I really don't like using wet aged meat. It has a whole different kind of vibe to it. It cooks differently. It ages differently in the walk-in. Hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, it's funny. John and I work together pretty pretty closely. So I mean, he said exactly. Kind of my my perspective is it really drives the menu. It helps us decide how to use that animal, how to use all of it. I mean, there, if you look in the walk-in, sometimes it's like Noah's Ark. It's like there's a bunch of pancetta, there's a, some <laughs> quail, there's a, there's a whole veal carcass. Just um, anxiety. But, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. It's a ton of tension. Or, or then, creativity and excitement. But then excitement. sometimes you have, I mean, it's dangerous because sometimes you're like, oh, shit, we've got a, a lot of meat in here. I mean, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know, I'm getting nervous. <laughs> well, I'm getting nervous, but it really drives the menu. And, it, and it, when you have these moments where you're, you, you have something that makes an impact, then people really understand. I think it really makes a connection. For and a lot of our guests, I mean, Patrick, you met one of them uh, the other day at Pasquale Jones, who, who has a standing reservation and is excited to eat different parts of the pig when he comes in. I mean, he is a great guest and he's really open to trying it, but people now know that there's stuff down there and maybe it's not on the menu. And they're saying, hey, what do you have in sort of the protein department that, that I'm not seeing right now on the menu? And that's we really texted cool. each other about the breed. I mean, that was an unbelievable guy. It was a credit uh, to you and you and the way you guys run your place and the charisma with which you guys are standing right at the bar there, people watching you work. It's not one of those silent kitchens. It's a kitchen. It's going. There's a pizza oven. And, and, uh, there's uh, tons of people and wine. It is a fun <laughs> place to eat out. We felt like a million bucks. Cesare had a great meal. By the way, Cesare also said that one of his three greatest meals of all time was a recent dinner at Michael Tusk's Quince. Mm -hmm. I think it was Quince, right? Not yeah, Catonia. I believe so. Well, you know, I look back at our history, and uh, I think Anne Saxley could say the same thing. We look at these just amazing chefs that literally, with no precedent or no reason, any every reason to say no, helped us. And Lat Mark Ladner was one. Uh, Carmen Quagliata was one. Uh, Sam Edwards, the great cure master. Uh, the folks of Fatted Calf. And I really put you guys in that echelon, uh, you know, keep us going who who say yes to try to figure stuff out sometimes to help us also saying no when it doesn't work of course but uh we just admire you guys you guys are very unique plus we've got other restaurants in the company we can say hey we're heavy on pork can mm -hmm. you guys take a shoulder yeah your success allows you to do good 
I mean, it means yeah. everything to groups like us that are fighting to be unique, you know? You have any uh, secret, off, like secret off menu items happening tonight? Or you have to go into the walk-in and dream them up now? What do you got, Chef? Well, we've got this really great quail coming from Vermont. We that is really gonna, special. We don't know what we're going to serve it with, but uh, yesterday we served it with this Umbrian sort of grain dish called imbrecciata. Um, we're heavy on pig right now. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely serving pork tonight, but come on down. We actually brought in fewer pigs next week. We called a couple of our farmers, and they were like, what? Because they don't live in this world. They probably heard the Trump talk, but they don't know about the subways possible, all this yeah. stuff. So we're like their voice into what's really going it's on a, in the restaurant. It's an area in the coal mine. We got a bunch of stinging nettles. If that's your, if oh that's yeah, your, if that's forgot. your jam. Yeah, I forgot about those. Yeah. yeah, those are coming in today. That sounds very spring. That sounds very spring. <laughs> we're, no, we're, we're doing just, some menu work now. We're yeah. going to do some uh, early spring menu work today. Fiddleheads, not yet. Not yet. I, you know, I never liked those. Oh yeah, like kind of too like trendy. Okra and uh. also just a little slimy. Oh, yeah, like a, it's like a cross between okra and Haricovera. When I took that cross tour, cross country tour with Carlo Petrini, by the time we got to Virginia, he would say, "Translate this," and I'm like, "What?" He's like, "If I get another fucking fiddlehead, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm not gonna." I'm like, like we're, the, we're, in the, "We're in the wrong country." We're I was such a sweet guy, that guy. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I translate different for him. <laughs> Like, he said he really enjoys this. Fucking kids that I don't give a fuck. I'm like, Carlos, happy to be here. <laughs> and he's like, you said what I wanted you to, right? And you're like, no, he knows actually. Yeah. So. I love that guy. I cooked a, a lunch for him one day actually in California. Oh, fantastic. It was very sweet. I told him we had this like pasta with uh, sausage calabrese and he mm-hmm. said, oh, paura. <laughs> he was afraid because I guess if you're Piemontese, you don't really like spicy food, but yeah. he really enjoyed it because it was actually this kind of riff on a Spanish like clam and chorizo type thing mm-hmm. but um it was actually really really flattering he wrote he had a really great meal and he's a guy he's a movement guy but he doesn't never forgets the chefs drive the movements that are important to him and uh, when he did his first nobel prize it was a soul food nobel prize the first one awarded was to an old lady who made anya lotte de pling and he did the math, and apparently she had made like two million plings over <laughs> her career. And uh, she got a standing ovation, and she was, oh, cool. you know, with her black stockings rolled down to her knee and all that. And pretty touching. Yeah. But I he mean, knows who drives the food scene. All of his ideas come to fruition, of course, through buyers' purchases and all that, but it's the chefs. That's who drive it. Yeah, no, that's something we've always said. It's uh, you guys drive us forward, and. Um we just want to support you in return. And the farmers. I mean, they, they drive the whole all the way down. Yeah. We're just the middlemen. But. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We obviously will be in for a meal at Pasquale Jones very soon. Perhaps very, even very tonight. soon. Very, yeah. very soon. This weekend. We I have, hope uh, you stay open. Obviously, politics play up. I mean, we hope that people continue to go out. We hope we can go out. Uh, we just hope not everything changes. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers I think we crossed. just got to play a little defense now and kind of yeah. figure out how to... How to know keep yeah. keep yeah. Uh, sustained we're here. gonna serve the neighborhood and the community until it feels like you know we no longer should yeah All right. awesome thank chef you for having us. chef tim thank thanks you. for uh, being anytime. with us you're always welcome back on the main course the main course og is powered by simplecast thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.